Well, good morning, Harvest. Whoo, good news. If you're new here, the normal guy will be back next week and all will be okay. Yeah, that's right. They don't let me come often, but we always promise the normal guy will be back next week. The preaching will be better. It's okay. Give it another try. If it's your first time here, please come back. Please. Um, Pastor Roy sent me a text message this morning. He said, uh, be at home. This is your church. Now, I don't know where he's going to pastor, but it's an honor to be your new lead pastor. So glad to be here. Hope uh, we get a chance to meet. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's great to be here this morning. How many people in the room love Jesus? Anybody love Jesus? Come on, who loves Jesus a little bit? That's great, a little bit. Now, where's the real lovers? Like, where are the people who are just passionately in love with Jesus and you know that if God hadn't saved you from where you were, you would have been in death, you would have been in trouble, you'd be in jail, you'd be on the street, but God saved you, God redeemed you, God called you, God placed you, and you are living for Jesus today. Can somebody just give them a shout for that? I, uh, I don't like the idea of coming to church and watching the speakers speak. That seems really boring to me. So I invite you to participate in church this morning. Come on. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm still married. I still don't have my wife here, and I still have one kid. So just a little update on the family scenario. I've been here a few times, and uh, my wife never comes with me, but she does love me, and I do love her. And I, did, and I did marry up, okay? So we got that stuff out of the way. Uh, I have one more thing to do before I speak this morning. I need to know who the young lady was standing about right here. Where, where's she at? I, I don't know your name. I don't even know who you are. Where are you? Yeah, what's your name? Ella. Ella? Ella, that's awesome. Ella, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this or not, but they just won't invite me back if I'm not allowed to. Um, and so... Uh, that's cool. Um, Ella, I just want you to know that I watched you worship this morning, and the Spirit of God just put a picture in my mind as you worshiped, and I watched things shift. The Bible says in the Old Testament that when they went to battle, they sent worshipers first, and I watched as you worship this morning. God put a picture in my mind and showed me that plates shifted, walls came down, and things broke in the presence of God as you worshiped. And just that as you worship and as you give your life to worship, whether it be on a stage on a Sunday morning at harvest, whether it be on a Tuesday or Wednesday in the quietest, darkest moment of your life or the brightest hour of your day, that in the spiritual realm, things move and shift as you worship. And God's given you the ability to worship so that he can use it to change the atmosphere in the places that you stand, the places that you walk, the school that you go to, the people you talk to and the environment that you live in. And so as you honor God with that, he will give you a deeper and a greater heart for worship as you continue to walk in that anointing and that place that he's positioned you in. So I just speak that over your life. God bless you today. So I want to talk this morning a little bit about influence, and, uh, and I want to start by saying I, I don't have a message title for you this morning, but I have a theme, and I want to talk on the topic of influence and I think that now that we're not over COVID, I think it's time the church gets over COVID. I said, not that we're over COVID, I think it's time the church gets over COVID. And I want to talk for a few moments this morning to you, Harvest, a little bit about influence and how it's time for the church to do what the church has been called to do 
and not for the church to live under the canopy, the umbrella, or the weight of where we've been, but under the, under the presence of an almighty God who's called us to move forward. And so I want to talk about influence this morning, just for a few minutes. I, I believe for your ultimate purpose, my ultimate purpose in life, every one of us as creation, as God's creation, is to make a difference. You were designed, you were created to make a difference. Can I hear a good amen on that? You were created to make a difference. And, and so how do I do that is the question I, I want to ask this morning. And with 27 minutes and 34 seconds left, I need to dig right into the text. Not that anybody's keeping track of time. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, it says this, You will be made rich in every way. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Can I talk to somebody this morning who feels like you are not rich in every way? I don't mean your bank account. You might mean, it might mean in your relationships. It might mean in your job situation. It might mean in the postal codes you live in. It might mean in the, in the neighborhoods you live in. You just don't feel rich. Can I, can I talk to somebody who maybe, maybe you feel rich in every way, but you're not generous in every way? You know, you're generous with your money, but you're not generous with your compliments. You know, you're generous with your, 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 your work, but you're not generous with your serving on Sunday. Oh, you're generous, you're generous with your small group, but you're not generous with your kids. Scripture says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Somebody say every. Every occasion. When you woke up this morning, that was an occasion for you to be generous. When you spoke to your children this morning, it was an occasion to be generous. When you looked at your spouse this morning, it was an occasion to be generous. I put an outfit on this morning to come to harvest. My wife looked at me and said, that ain't going to work. She was generous. <laughs> on every occasion, you've got to be generous. Right? She just looked at me and goes, uh-uh. That ain't going to work. You go back in and try again. <laughs> she was generous because she knows that somehow she, that people are going to find out I'm married to her. She doesn't want me going around like that. <laughs> She's generous. You'll be made rich in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion. I believe God has called us not only to be rich because he's built a rich kingdom, but he's also called us to be generous because it's our generosity of the Lord that draws people to himself. I want to talk about that today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this amazing day. Lord, as we look at your word today, would you speak to us, challenge us, and help us to be better because we've been in your presence together. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we can have influence, we have to recognize our influence. Before we can have it, we have to recognize it. What stops most people from living a life of influence is understanding they have influence. And if you doubt the influence you have, you can never live with influence. You can't do what you don't know. Hello? You can't do what you don't know. You gotta you got know what you know so you can do what you know. And if you don't know it, you don't do it. And sometimes you don't know what you're doing and somebody has to say, hey, you're doing this and you don't even know it. And you go, ooh, why am I doing that? It's called blind spots. We all have them. You say, what are they? I don't know. They're hard to see. That's why they call them blind spots. Thank you for coming to Harvest. Let's wrap up in a word of prayer. And so we, we, have, to have, we have to have influence. In order to have influence, we've got to know what we're talking about. We've got, we've got to see it. We've got to understand it. And then we've got to use it for God's glory. Because anything you have is actually meant to be used by God for God so that people can come to God and find God in a place of hope and peace and joy. Because let me tell you, we're not living this life so we can serve ourselves. We're living this life because God's called us to it, somebody. 
I like what the message says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, the New Testament, the second half of your Bible. It says, make careful exploration. Oh, take a look, church. Make careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into it. Make careful exploration. I have an eight-year-old boy and he loves to explore. He loves to look for stuff. He loves to find stuff. And scripture says, make careful exploration. Oh, give it your life's calling to seek and search out what God has called you to do so that on every occasion, you can do it with everything that you've been given. And I want to point out as we look at this scripture this morning that he doesn't say, listen, for those of you who have a good job, a good home, a perfect family, wonderful kids, and the most amazing spouse on the planet, he doesn't say that. He says to all, to everyone, hey, make careful exploration wherever you are. Friend, are you discouraged this morning? Make careful exploration. Friend, are you unemployed today? Make careful exploration. Are you in a spot you never thought you'd be in? Well, God knew you'd be there, and he's waiting for you to make careful exploration. Make careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. God wants us to know who we are first, and then the work that we have been given so that you can sink yourself into it. So I believe that every one of us has influence. Say, I have influence. I have influence. Every one of us has influence. Some of you say it because you've been told to and you're like, well, this is what we do. We respond when he says this and this is what we have to do. Some of you believe it. And some of you would say, well, I, I, one time I thought I had influence, but then this happened. Then that happened. And now I'm not sure if I have any influence at all. You know, I got myself in a tough situation. I got myself in trouble. There was a season where I thought I had influence, but then something went wrong. And now, you know what, I think my influence is lost because I made a mistake. I lost my job. I, I, my, my marriage didn't go well. And so now my, my influence feels less. Do you know what the devil wants to do with your influence? He wants to convince you you don't have any. If you want to know what the devil wants to do with your influence, he wants to convince you you don't have any. And so what we'll do is we'll say, well, well, if I would have done this right, or I would have done that right, or if I would have had it this way, or if I would have known more about that, I wouldn't have done this, and then I'd have more influence. I used to have influence. Oh, but then this happened. Oh, I used to have influence. I had a great job, and then this happened. I, I used to have influence... And the devil goes, yes, that's right. You, you don't have any influence. You're no good. You messed it up. God's not proud of you. Oh, you, you, you're not going to make it. Oh, and then we start living in that world. Then we, start, we just start telling ourselves that. And then it gets to the point where we don't only just tell ourselves that. We tell other people that. You know, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, can you give me a hand with this? And you go, no, I can't. And in your mind, the role play is playing. I don't have enough influence. Oh, I can't help with that. That's in the church. I can't help with that. Oh, I can't help with that in my community. Oh, I can't serve my neighbor. Oh, I can't. If they knew, if they knew, if they knew, if they knew. The devil's just playing the tape. And suddenly we believe we don't have influence. But, but, but Scripture says, take careful exploration. Oh, you better dig out who your creator is. You better figure out why you're alive. You better figure out how you breathe today and let the one who gave you breath, the one who created you, the one who called you by name, and the one who knows the number of hairs on your head decide if you have influence or not. Because the guy who created you, the God who called you by name is the one who decides your influence. 
Acts chapter 16 and uh, verse 16 to 31 is gonna be our main text today. Acts chapter 16 is the it's the history of the work of the church. It's the beginning of the, the work of the church recorded in the New Testament. It says this in, Matthew, oh, sorry, in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 30, 31. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is, this is Paul and Silas talking. He says, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God. Well, this doesn't sound so bad. Let's just pause here for a moment. Sounds like she's a pretty good lady. Like she's, she's announcing that these people are men of the most high God. How can this go wrong? A couple verses you'll find out. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought, them before, uh, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Can I just talk to you about where you are today? Paul and Silas are in the inner cell cell. It says they're, 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 they're not just on the outside with the nice sunshine looking out the window going, well, we're here for a couple of nights. This should be lovely. Scripture says they are shackled on the inner cell. I want you to picture a windowless cell in a cold and dreary basement. And it says here that, and it says here that they weren't alone. In fact, there were other prisoners. Somebody say Influence. There were other prisoners listening to them. Can I talk to you a little bit this morning about what you say and what people hear? In your darkest moment, God is using you and people are listening. In your darkest moments, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaking at once. The prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I have a question. I see that your life was sentenced to jail. I put you in the inner cell. I put you in a dark, cold, and lonely place. I shackled you. I put you in bondage. I made sure you had no hope of redemption. I made sure that you were alone. I, I tied you down. I didn't give you any treats. There were no goldfish before bed. There was no breakfast. Sorry, I got an eight-year-old. Uh, there was no breakfast in the morning. Like, I made sure your life was miserable 
and you started singing. I made sure that you had lost your job. I made sure that you had no access to people. I made sure that nobody could find you. I made sure that you felt like your life was over. I made sure you were uncomfortable. I made sure you couldn't see what was going to happen next. I made sure you didn't know what was coming. And you started singing. Couldn't shut you up in your darkest moments. Can I talk to somebody this morning that the devil only wants to shut you up in your darkest moments? Paul and Silas start to sing. I don't know if they were singing the songs we sang this morning. And if they were, that was very prophetic. But they were singing, God, you're good. Oh, you're good in the morning, you're good in the evening. Oh, you're just so good. And Paul and Silas begin to worship so much so that the foundations of the jail began to shake. And what happens next is amazing because the Bible says that Paul and Silas' cell opens and because they had faith, they got to go free and left the rest of the heathens behind them. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says that those who were in the jail with them were listening, and as they began to sing, the jail became loose. Their shackles fell off, and not just them, but all of the prisoners found freedom in the presence of God. All the prisoners found freedom. And the jailer wakes up. By the way, if you want to know how to lose your job, you fall asleep on the job. The jailer wakes up and realizes there's an uproar, and to his shock and awe, the cells are open and the shackles have fallen off. And the two guys he was brought and entrusted to take care of are free. And not only are they free, but somehow they got everybody else free on his watch. And so ready to realize he's about to have his life over, he decides, I'm, uh, he prepares himself to take him by his own sword and finish his life, when Paul speaks up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You understand. You understand that, that you don't need to harm yourself because we haven't left you. We haven't left you. We've simply experienced a demonstration of God's power. And it's not just for me and it's not just for you, but it's for all of us today. In our darkest moment, we had the greatest influence. In our, in our most troublesome time, we still had the God who was Jehovah, who was our Je Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He was still our Jehovah Nisia. He was still our banner. He was still our way maker. He was still our, uh, he was still our redemption. He was still our hope. He, we, he didn't lose sight of us. We couldn't see what was happening around us, but we knew a God had his eyes on us. And so we worshiped the God who never leaves us. And he showed up in our presence and demonstrated his power in our darkest moments. And and because of our influence, because we decided to sing when nobody was singing, because we decided to worship when nobody was worshiping, because we decided to call on God when nobody was calling on God, because we believed in a God who the world around us didn't seem to believe in, and that's why we were here, our God showed up in the midst of his enemies, and he prepared a table for us and set us free today. And so that's what he does. 
don't harm yourself. We are here. The jailer called for the lights and run in trembling. And Paul and Silas, he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he replies, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. I want to mention here really quickly, the word household does not refer to your home, like your brick home that you're going to go to after church today and, and have the guest speaker for lunch. Not that place. It refers to the community to which you live in. Okay, so your home is not just your literal household where you and your two kids or three kids or whatever live. But it's actually your place of influence and your sphere of influence. And so if, if we understand we have a fear, sphere of influence like Paul and Silas, then uh, you, there's three areas you need to know in order to have your sphere of influence work well, and I wanna give those three things to you this morning. The first thing you have to know is you have to know your people. If you're taking notes, this is what you're gonna to wanna to write down. If you're not taking notes, you should be. And uh, there's no pressure, nor is there any condemnation. But if you look at your neighbor and they're not taking notes, just give them a good shot in the ribs. So first, the, your first sphere of influence is your people. It's your people. The people around you, your family, your children, it's the people you work with. It's the people you go to school with. It's the people you have lunch with. It's the people who you have coffee with. It's your small group. It's your Sunday morning church gathering. It's the people you sit near every Sunday because you always sit in the same area because you're creatures of habit. And why would I sit anywhere else? I've always sat here. It's those people. It's the people who greet you. It's the people who you know. It's your, it's your neighbors. Your first and most close sphere of influence is the people that you know. In Mark chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Go home to your family and friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had had mercy on you. Our greatest influence, our greatest testimony, our greatest ability to share who Jesus is in our life is with the people who are closest to us. If the people closest to us doesn't, don't know who Jesus is in our lives, then who knows? If my, kids don't, if my kid doesn't see Jesus in me, he's not going to see Jesus anywhere. Come on, somebody. If, 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 if my kid doesn't see me doing devos on a, on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday morning, on a Wednesday morning, why would I ever expect my kid to do devos? Do you want to know the best way to disciple the people around you? Let them catch you doing the things of God. Oh, I want my son to catch me doing devos. I want my son to interrupt me when I'm praying. Oh, son, I'm just praying right now. I need you to know I'm praying because that's what daddy does because daddy wants you to do that. You want to know how to have the greatest fear of influence, the greatest fear of influence on people around you is let them catch you loving Jesus every day of your week. Let them catch you worshiping Jesus. Oh, why don't you come over? We'll watch the game today. No, I, I got to go to church this morning because before I watch the game, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch my king a little bit this morning. I'm going to worship my king this morning today. Come on. Come on. Let, let's let the people around me know. Let's, let's make sure that the people around me know your greatest influence are the people who are closest to you. Your sphere of influence is about 12 people, actually. 12 people. Your greatest influence rests on about 12 people. Studies have shown it. There's lots of research done about it. And funny enough, strangely enough, coincidentally, Jesus knew that. That's why he had 12 disciples. Science just figured it out. They just discovered it in research recently, but Jesus knew it like 2,000 years ago. He had 12. 
12 people. Who are the 12 people that you're greatest influences with? Who are they? The second thing you need to know about having a sphere of influence is your place. The place that you live is your sphere of influence. If you look at the place you live and say, I wish I didn't live here, you're suggesting to God, you're saying to God, God, you can't use me here. Can I tell you, no matter where you live, no matter whether you like it or not, God has placed you there. And he can use you right where you are. Oh, if God would move me over here, I'd be more available to God. God needs you to be available to him over here before he moves you over there. If he can't trust you in the mess you're in, he's never going to give you the palace you want. And so I got I to be used by God right here. I got to be used God right where I, I'd like to be over there, God. But while I'm here, I'm going to serve you. Oh, God, I wish I had that over there. But while I don't have that, I'll use what I've got. Oh, I'd like to be shopping over at that store, but while you got me shopping over at this one, I'll shop in your name every day and I'll buy something for somebody else while I'm, I just want to be an influence. Oh, I'd like to be, I'd like to be going over to that restaurant for supper, but I guess God, maybe the waitress here at this restaurant needs to know you first. It's the place that I am. It's not just the people, but it's the place. It's where I am. Your place matters to God. Hear me this morning, your place matters to God. Truth is that approximately 53% of people don't attend church because they're never invited. 53% of people don't attend church because they're never invited and 84% of people will come to church by an invitation. That means you're gonna have some no's, but it also means you're gonna have some yeses. Oh, and I'll take two no's for every yes I get. Thank you very much. No, no, yes, come along. No, no, yes, come along. I'll take all of my yeses and I'll go back to my no's next week and try one more time. Because you might say no this week. You might say no next week. You might say no in two years from now. But on year three, you're going to get sick of my invitation and you're coming to church. And then when you come to my church, when you can, this isn't even in my notes and I don't really have time for it, but when you come to my church, you're going to get a seat, you're going to hear some worship, you're going to watch people worship because my friends come to church and my church family comes to church not because they want to but because they know that they have influence because there was a guy at my church one time who said that so now we all go to church every Sunday. And so, and so, and they're going to come to church, they're going to worship and then the platform, somebody's going to give an opportunity for you to know the God that I serve and because you've watched me serve that God for the last three years and you finally got your butt to church with me, you're going to come to know Jesus and then you're going to go out and you're going to have the same influence I have. We say church and state, so we say church and politics shouldn't have a place together, but friends, we need the church in politics once again. We say, well, education, education and how we teach our children shouldn't be, shouldn't be uh, mixed with faith and we got to keep that separate. We want to be that to be together. Some of us want it to be together. Some of us want it to be separate, but the truth is we need Jesus in our education. In our business, if you own a business today, you have influence in your business. You can have influence in your business. You say, well, I, I, I'm an employee, I'm a manager, I'm a senior manager, I'm a partner, whatever I am. And you know what? I gotta be careful what I say because there's rules around that. You gotta be careful what you say, but you also have to be careful how you live. And the demonstration of your life will speak more than every word you'll ever say. And so don't, don't say a thing, just live for Jesus. Don't say a thing, just live for Jesus. The media, man, we got, we got lots of social media going on. Facebook, Twitter, uh, um, something else. I can't remember all the names, all the different the social media things. I'd have to find a 12-year-old. They can get me up to speed. But there's like a lot of social media options out there, okay? 
And I'm shocked at what Christians put on social media. Did the devil get in your keyboard this morning? Like, what happened to you? Good night, let's use social media to be an influencer for Jesus. Let's make sure our yeas are yeas and our nays are nays, and let's make sure God's glorified in every letter we type. Let's make sure our witness and our presence on, in the, on the internet and in the, in the uh, world of internet, let's make sure it's honorable to Jesus. Come on, let's make sure we share those harvest posts every time they're posted so people know we belong. Come on, you want to know where I'm going today? I'm going to harvest. Man, I posted this morning, I was sitting up here in the second worship song. I didn't know it, so I thought I'd take a moment to post a, post a little Facebook message. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I posted, I'm, I'm at Harvest Church this morning, worshiping at one church in a different location, because it doesn't matter where I am, what church I'm in. The truth is, we're the body of Christ, and we're called to worship together. And so that's who we are. That's what we do. So there's your people, there's your place. Then there's your passion. God will use the things that you're passionate about. God wants to use something that you're passionate about to honor him. He wants you to take your passions. Let me tell you, you're called to be a part of the body. The nose smells, not the feet. Don't try to be smelling feet. If you're called to be feet, then walk. If you're called to be a nose, then smell. We don't need runny noses. We need running feet and smelling noses. You hear what I'm saying? Do you know how ugly it gets when we try to do things we haven't been called to do? See, it gets, it gets messy. But we're called to something. And our passion, the things that you love, the worship team is passionate about singing. Friends, if I sang this morning, you would leave harvest immediately. The stream would go down, the church would be closed next week. It'd be over. I'm not called to do this thing. I sing over there, they don't give me a mic to sing. Right? It's not what I'm called to do. It's not what I'm passionate about it, but I ought not to do it with a microphone. You'd be blessed because you got these people behind me. Right? So use your passion. Use your calling. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. This is your influence. You have been given each one a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now these are the gifts that Christ has given the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and leaders. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build the church for the body of Christ. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. You're made to fit. If it's your first time at harvest, you were made to fit. If it's your second time at harvest, you were made to fit. If you've been here for a long time and you still haven't found your place, you were designed to fit. It's time to find your place. You need to start exploration today. You need to find, you, need, you were designed to fit. You were not designed to fit in the chair you're sitting on. You were designed to serve. You were designed to go. You were designed to be. You're a part of the body of Christ and it's in, on purpose, with a purpose, by the God who created you. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. I love that. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Can I just give you a prophetic word as we close today? That as you do this, as you do this, as you do this in Cornwall, as you do this in your community, as you do this in your neighborhood, your workplace, as you do this, there are promises that God reveals 
In Isaiah chapter 58, verses 5 to 12, my last verse for this morning, there's a command and a promise. While it's talking about fasting, I want you to hear the bigger picture that Isaiah refers to. I'm going to read it for you this morning. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 5 to 12. Is this kind of fast that I have chosen only for a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's heads and like a reed and for laying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what, what you've called me to? A day, uh, to a day acceptable to the Lord is not the kind of fasting I have chosen. To loose the chains of injustice and unite the cords, the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Over Cornwall, may God break oppression in Jesus' name. Is it to share your food with the hungry and to provide poor, uh, the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to run away from them, your own flesh and blood? And then he gives the promise. And in this promise, there are, there are, uh, there are 12 different promises in this text. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them to you one by one, hold on tight. When, when you do this, when you become generous on every occasion, when you become generous in every situation, he says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. That's promise number one. Your healing will quickly appear. That's promise number two. Then your righteousness will go before you. That's number three. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That's number four. Then you will call and the Lord will answer your cry for help. And he will say, here I am. That's number five. It happened to Paul and Silas. It can happen to you today. It will, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malice talk and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like noonday that's number six then the Lord will guide you always that's number seven he will satisfy your needs in the sun scorned land that's number eight and will strengthen your frame he'll give you stature for the day somebody that's number nine You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose nevers fails. That's number 10. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age-old foundations. That's number 11. And you will be called the reaper of broken walls and the restorer of streets and dwellings. My God is looking for people in the city of Cornwall, this community, in this church, who say, I want to be an influence. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to use where I am, what God's given me and where he's placed me to do all that he's called me to do. And for his name, sake, I'll serve him faithfully. Come on, is there somebody in church who would say, Lord, make me an influence in my community. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Here we go. Let's sing this together.
your heads with me for a moment. Our greatest influence in our lives is Jesus every day. And maybe you're here today because somebody invited you or begged you or has been bugging you for a long time to come to harvest. And you're here today going, man, I just came for the free lunch. I want to tell you, God's got a bigger plan for your life today and you still get lunch. But God's got a bigger plan for your life today. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. The story of Paul and Silas, those other people were set free and they discovered that God wanted to have a part of their life. Not only do you want to have a part, he wanted to have the whole thing. And today is no different. If you've ever seen the picture, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Can I come in? such an awesome, such a holy, such an amazing God waits for your invitation to say, Lord, come into my life. Lord, I want to have great influence again. I, I want the greatest influence of history to be in my life today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just for a moment in the auditorium, just, just, just out of respect for those around you. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I, 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 I want the greatest influencer of history, Jesus, to come into my life today. I want to have a relationship with this, this God who sets people free, who lifts yokes and breaks chains and, 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 and helps people find freedom. I want my life to make a difference. If that's you today, if you just quickly raise your hand up nice and high so I can see it. Just everybody's, everybody's got their head bowed. Thank you so much. Is there somebody else? Come on. This is your moment. Thank you so much. You can, raise your, you can lower your hands. Thank you, couple. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Come on. Anybody else this morning? Come on. Father God, you just pray this prayer with me in your heart. Father God, come into my life today. Renew me. Clear, clear, clean my heart today. Clean my life today. God, I want to start fresh. Forgive me of my sins. God, I hear you knocking. And today I invite you in. Today I invite you in. Come and be Lord of my life. Lord, I want my influence to honor you all the days of my life. 
because you're an awesome, amazing, and wonderful God. Come on. You're an awesome, amazing, and wonderful God. So, Lord, come and live in my life today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give it up. Pastor James, what a good word. Incredible, incredible. Hey, if you did make that decision today to follow Jesus, we just believe that's the best decision ever. And um, we would love for you to tell somebody and we would love to get you a Bible. We have loads of Bibles here. We're not gonna run out. So if you made that decision today, just find somebody in a green shirt and just say, hey, can I get a Bible? Can you help me on my next step? Because we would just love to help you on your journey. But what an awesome day. Thank you so much for being in the house. We love you and we will see you next weekend. Be blessed.